0: Hello everyone, it's Brian Underwood, and I'm super excited to share with you a conversation that I had recently with Alex L. And for those of you that don't know Alex, I think you're in for a great surprise. Uh, she is unbelievable in terms of really getting to, you know, have people look inside themselves to grow. Uh, I was scrolling through social media, saw one of her posts, and it caught my attention. And when I started diving into who she was, Uh, it was like a rabbit hole. I kept wanting to learn more and more. And I got so much insight. I don't know if you've ever read something and and when you read it, you thought, man, that is specifically for me. And it seemed like every one of her posts I could relate to based on something that was either going on in my life currently or something that I had been through. And so through this conversation, you're going to learn a little bit more about her, her passion for people, uh, her passion for actually sharing and being vulnerable of her journey and what she's been through. And, you know, I went out and got her book. I actually bought, I think, 10 copies of them and gave them to people at the time. uh, The book was After the Rain. Uh, I know that she promoted it into Target. Um, I just went on Amazon and bought it, and I love the book. I encourage each and every one of you to get it. Her upcoming book is How We Heal. And I told her that I'd love to do workshops about how we grow uh, and have a workshop called How We Grow but have her teaching her principles of how we heal because all of us have past traumas or we have micro traumas. And when you heal those micro traumas, you learn more about yourself and you grow. And the more you grow, the more you have to give. And she's been doing workshops, teaching people how to get to know themselves better, um, become more vulnerable and get to the core of who they are, which gives you more strength to move forward, to gain momentum in every aspect of your life, and so uh, she's world renowned. She's a best-selling author, uh, but more importantly, I just love this conversation with her, and can't wait to have her at more of our events. So, if you take a look uh, at some of her her stuff, I know that you're going to get a lot of distinctions and a lot of growth. So, hopefully, you, you enjoy, and we'll talk to you real soon. It really has touched me, like your your content and your vulnerability, and and what you've been through, and a lot of it's relatable. Um, and so, I'm just a very common sense guy. If I can relate to it, I know some of the other folks out there can. So how I came across you is I'm flipping and one of your little things hit me at the right right moment and I look into it and then I see you say, oh, my book's at uh, Target. And um, I know it was a while ago. I was just scrolling back through your feed and yep. this. and So then I Absolutely ordered like
1: rain. Yep. <laughs> I ordered like 15
0: of them and Thank gave them you. to friends of mine. And I was like, you know, and I, and every one of them have loved it, by the way. Good. And so I just selfishly, I wanted to meet you to be just like perfectly frank. And, um, okay. and I know something good to come out of our conversation because, yeah. uh, something has, has good has come from your post just to me and it's resonated with me. And so if you don't mind kind of share with me where your journey began, because obviously, um, a lot of your work feels like a lot of self-discovery, a lot of conversations with yourself that other people relate to. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like, tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Ooh. So my journey to self-discovery, I love how you use that term and word because I use it a lot, um, started about 11 years ago, really deeply rooted about 10 years ago. And I was in this phase in my life where I had no idea who I was or what I wanted, but I was ready to find out, right? And so when I was 22, I took a year off of everything. I lost friends. I wasn't engaging in any type of romantic relationships. And I really started to change my mindset because at the end of the day, we often think that change starts with external forces, but change actually starts with us. And I wasn't doing the work 11 years ago to change myself until I had this kind of come to Jesus moment. Like this is not working for you. And you say that you want to heal and change and create a life of abundance and joy and ease for yourself. You have to be the one to start changing. And so I've been a writer all of my life. However, it wasn't until I started writing to heal myself that I knew that I had more power than I was giving myself credit for. And so... All those years ago, I decided that I wanted a different life, that I wanted to change and become the woman that I knew that I could be. And it required a lot of shedding. It required a lot of starting over. Um, And it required a lot of self-trust and a lot of getting lost along the way, right? Because no one is really talking about that either. And as a teacher and a journaling coach and someone who not only writes books, but wants other people to write their story. I'm really passionate about letting folks know that this is not an easy, seamless path. When you choose to heal and you choose to change, it is challenging. It is not this whimsical thing, you know, that you um, see on Instagram, right? It's not this beautiful, evolution that happens overnight. It is day by day, step by step, trying to get it right, a lot of failures. And so when I decided that I wanted to come back home to myself and figure out who Alex was, things changed for me. Things changed for me and it was a choice. It was a hard choice because when we're used to chaos and when we're used to confusion and when we're used or 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 if we have grown up in chaos and confusion, we um tend to think that that's our resting place. So dismantling that and deciding trauma is not my resting place. Pain is not my resting place. I can do things differently in my life and reclaiming my agency and autonomy. It opened up so many doors for me, not only as a woman, but as a mother, as a wife. I'm a mother to three daughters. I've been married to my husband six years, been together nine years. So he came in when I was like at the, in the thick of my evolution. And, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting what happens when you choose yourself and when you choose to do things in a way in which that you thought was impossible at one point.
0: No, it's really cool. Uh, two things you said is, is traumas. And, um, I have like a little quote trauma as a teacher, you know, I think yeah. every single one of us, we, uh, and I think the awareness over the last several years has even heightened, uh, more in, in the world, whether it's social media or Instagram or just people's awareness and everything going on in the world, right? It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what your political views are, there's just a lot of heightened stuff, uh, noise. You have a lot of uh, micro traumas that happen throughout your life, macro traumas. Um, but you know, one of the things you said is uh, is how to get to know yourself and I'm actually in the process of writing a book. I always had this imposter syndrome for 20 some years and people told me 20 years ago, you should do it. And I'm like, I, I didn't feel ready. Like what, what, what experience do I have? Just cause you make money or are successful doesn't mean you have something to give. Like I felt like an imposter, but mm. uh, one of the whole, one of the premises of the book, uh, is around getting to know yourself. You know, my initials are be you. So I always say, you know, always be you. But the fact is most people don't know who they are. So they can't stand up for themselves. They can't grow themselves because they have to start with like getting to know yourself. So my curiosity, when you said that immediately went two things, number one, what was the defining factor? Do you remember when you said you wanted to wake up to discover who you are? And then what was that process? Did you have a coach? Did you just kind of start reading, Googling? Like, what what was your process, you know, day one starting? If You know what I mean? Like, do you remember like what that process looked like?
1: I remember that I wasn't growing. I didn't feel like I was growing. I didn't feel like the people around me were growing. I didn't feel like I was being um, nourished emotionally, physically, And at, at some point in our path, we, we have, we can't keep turning a blind eye to the things that we know aren't working. Right. And so realizing that I'm the common denominator in my relationships, I'm the common denominator in, in my life that, okay, how you're doing things hasn't been working. It hasn't been satiating. It hasn't been fulfilling. Let's try something else. And I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I knew that what I was doing at the time was not working, and so no, I didn't have a coach. I did um, explore my yoga practice. I did explore different teaching of different teachings. Excuse me, of Tichna Han and Pema Chodron, and I explored who I was outside of everyone else we often as human beings identify with who we are to other people. And when I'm teaching, I often ask my students and people who come to retreat in course with me, who are you? And then I say, here's the catch. You're not allowed to say who you are to other people. And people freak out because they're like, I don't know who I am. I mean, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a husband, I'm this, I'm that to all these other people. I'm an employee. I'm, you know, a friend, a daughter, like those are the lists, right? But no one is asking themselves, who am I to me? Who Who am I outside of the roles that I play in other people's lives? And back then, I didn't really have the language to identify that that was, that is what I was searching for. I was searching for who I was outside of who I was for everybody else. And that was my wake up call. That was my invitation. The not knowing was my invitation to be like, Oh, this is an answer I want to find out.
0: You know, one of the things that, uh, I was just actually reading, uh, which I have not, which I am going to download it. I was trying to catch uh, some of the teachings that you said I heard you say yoga and then you, you said two other names.
1: Um, Tina Khan and Pema children.
0: I always am interested like who influences you so I want to check them out but um, and I have not looked up your podcast yet called the Morning Walk, uh, oh, but yeah. I will.
1: Yeah. So that's um, actually my new podcast. Um, it's called This Morning Walk. And then I just wrapped up my old podcast, the Hey Girl podcast at the Kennedy Center last month. And that was really fun.
0: Oh, cool. So tell what uh what do you discuss on or what did you discuss on the hey girl? Did you say hey girl?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> hey girl. Um, like can guys you listen that. to
1: that too? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, you can.
0: <laughs> okay. And then uh and then what is the morning walk about it?
1: Yeah. So the Hey Girl podcast was five years old and we talked about sisterhood, self-care and finding community and finding community. And so I had a lot of different, beautiful, amazing women and some men on the show, um, sharing their stories of growth and expansion and entrepreneurship and self-care. And it was really wonderful.
0: Awesome. And then this new journey is the morning walk. And what is your outcome or, or vision or, uh, value that you're looking to put out in the world from it.
1: So this morning walk is, um, a podcast that I host with my really dear friend, Libby Delena who got me on my walking journey, which is so random, but I read her book called do walk and it changed my life. So I've been walking every single day for 282 days, rain or shine. Awesome. And Libby has been walking every single day for 10 years hasn't missed one day. She's 60 years old. She's like a mentor to me. And she's this really awesome lady. And on that show, we talk about the lessons that we learn on our walks and how a practice that essentially just started as like, you know, movement and getting up and out has morphed into this practice of meditation and self-care and has really been a teacher for both of us. I mean, she's been doing it way, way longer than I have, but just to listen to her experiences is so magnificent as I continue to do my walking practice. And so we sit, we have tea and we talk about the lessons from our walk, very short micro podcast, but really, um, transformative. And it's been really fun to do that with her.
0: I love that. Yeah. Physiology. So it's so amazing when you do move, what, what it opens up in your body. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it is a form of meditation. Uh, I don't know if you've ever looked into like Joe Dispenza's work, but he talks a lot about like morning walk and morning meditation with walking and movement.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. I haven't, but I know that name. My husband who is an athlete, um, loves, I've heard that name and loves him. And so I didn't know he was like rooted in walking. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. He's, he's, uh, his stuff's really, I mean, it, for some people, it's out there just because of his, uh, language and nomenclature. You know, it's very, uh, meta, metaphysical. Like he's, he's almost like science around it. Yeah. Um, but it's powerful. It really is. Um, yeah. I feel so much better when I walk. Uh, and I think micro podcasting. Like I, I always want something just in time, like give me something in small dosages, like your little sticky notes yeah. that I can ponder and self-discovered, like in five minutes or less. And then I can like open up a rabbit hole for me and, and go some of these podcasts today. It's like, I don't have an hour and 40 minutes to listen to it. I know it's great content, you know, but sometimes like that little five to seven minutes window can like shift someone's life and give them a discovery mm-hmm. to start them on their path. Mm-hmm. And, uh, And so I'm going to check it out for sure. Um, You know, one of the things I want to do is kind of maybe get into, like this month, um, one of the things that I do uh, for our community and then also just for myself, and I do it more for myself, uh, I always pick a theme every month for my social media, and then I self discover through that theme so I can share it, but I'm sharing it for myself. I'm not trying to talk at anyone. I'm really doing it for myself. Right. This month was relationships. That's why I was like wanting to capture you here at the end of the month. <laughs> um, you know, because it, it, it doesn't matter if it's a personal relationship or friendship or a significant other relationship, yeah I believe the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our lives. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It has to start with the relationship with yourself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think so many of us underestimate that. You know, they, we don't, you know, we we distract ourselves from ourselves. Uh you know, every minute of every day with something and there's enough noise out there to do it. But if someone was listening to this and they're really taking this in and they're saying, Hey, I want to start this. I want to improve the quality relationship with my significant other. What are some of the things that you would suggest for them to do?
1: What I would suggest first, and we're going to go back to um, the relationship you have with yourself, like how in tune and aligned we are with ourselves will really dictate how we can be in tune and aligned with someone else. And I know that some people really don't like that. They're like, oh, I don't have to love myself to love someone else. But here's the thing. I am a big believer that one, we should love ourselves just as much as we love other people. Why? Because I don't want to love someone else and then hate myself. That is not um, constructive. That's not helpful. And it also isn't fair to those around us. I I often tell my students and and my clients that self-care and self-love is an act of community care. Right, and so the first thing I would suggest and nudge people towards is: Who are you to yourself? And as a writer, I'm always telling folks: Show up on the page. Literally, title the top of your page: Who am I to myself? And make a list. Right. So everything that you are to yourself, and everything that you are to other people, it, it should align because we can't we can't forget about ourselves and think that we can show up fully for other people. Mm -hmm. And as a married person, and as a mother of three, I know this is easier said than done. I know that we are taught as humans to be selfless and to put other people before ourselves, but we have to kind of break down that barrier because one, it's not helpful. And two, it distracts us from the possibility of living a full and abundant and grounded life, not just for those around us, but for ourselves, like, We get one life. We don't want to die solely being the caretaker of everyone else without Mm -hmm. fulfilling our dreams, without fulfilling our wants and and, and needs and and without vocalizing those things. Um, Because again, if we are not speaking up and telling people what we want and what we need, how are we going to be able to do that with ourselves? It has to start at home. And when I say home, I'm talking about the self. Um, and then two, have hard conversations because oftentimes in our relationships, things are going to come up that hurt us, that make us feel away, that turn us off. And we can't hold those things because if we hold those things, we are holding on to resentment. We are holding on to silence as a weapon. And we're also holding on to thinking that people can read our mind. Just because we love someone, it does not mean that they can read our minds or that we can read theirs.
0: And I know this from um, a people perspective, but a man's perspective. I I did some work with Alison Armstrong years ago, Mm -hmm. um, and she's a lot in masculine and feminine energy. I mean, she has a lot of really good relationship content and. I don't know for a fact, like if I'm in love or I love someone and I'm like, you know, smitten, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever emotion I'm feeling or that connection, I want to do whatever it takes to win for you. Like, I, I like you're my queen. I want to win for you. Like, that's my purpose. And I think sometimes in a relationship, we don't see that and we want them to, like, I feel like that it's almost i up for failure because it's like you want them to do something, but you want them to figure out what to do without right. you telling Right. And I've always said, if you train I'm a man properly, I don't mean that, but like, <laughs> uh-uh. like, I like, don't beat me up and punish me where I can't win because as a right. man, as a competitor, I want to win. Mm. And if I don't feel like I can win, then eventually I'm going to suppress or I'm going to shut down, you know, but, but if you just tell me how to win with you, I'm going to do everything I can to do that. Mm. I don't, I I don't know if that makes sense or not. I'm rambling a little bit, but, uh, but I I, I say that all the time. Like, just tell me what's in your mind. Like, tell me like, I want to hear it. And, um, but that takes courage too for some people like to say feeling and, you know, that's something that I'm learning is like, there's some people that they've been suppressed, their emotions have been suppressed their whole life. I have, um, you know, two beautiful boys, an eight year old, nine year old. And one of the things I'm learning as a father, you know, and some of it's like generational trauma that I've been in that I'm now discovering and journaling about and doing the work, but it's like letting them have their little feelings, like not trying to shut them down or tell them they can. And that, that was a very awakening thing for me, you know, to, to do. And sometimes it's hard to do as the parent,
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel that. And I, I love how you were saying, like, just tell me what's in your mind. And what I heard you saying is, tell me how I can see and support you. Tell me how I can show up for you. And that is what we need, especially in romantic relationships, because the world tells us that our romantic partner, even our family and our close friends, should know how to love us, should know how to care for us, right? a lot of the times people don't know people are learning as they go. And you, and you, if you look at how some of us were raised, our parents, they may have done quote unquote, the best they could, but they didn't have the information to be the, a, a lot of them. I'm, I'm not, not going to speak for everybody. I know that <laughs> my parents did not have the emotional intelligence to show up for me and see me and support me in the way that I deserved in the way that I wanted. And I was a child. So as children, it's hard to vocalize your wants and needs because one, you're vulnerable and two, you don't have the language. And if your parents don't have the language, how are they going to teach you? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I am learning within me raising three girls and being in a life partnership is how do we give our children permission to name their needs? How like that is how we break cycles. That is Mm -hmm. how we dismantle this generational trauma that we're all carrying is giving people their voice, especially when right. we feel like we don't have it, have one. And I think the last point I would make, which goes across the board, all of this can is boundaries. Boundaries are sacred. We need them. They are amazing. They
0: but I've always them. had little, I've always, when you said that, you saw me grin because I was like, yeah. I hate boundaries. Like I know, <laughs> I know. True, everyone but like, hates yeah.
1: boundaries, you know, but everyone, <laughs> everyone loves boundaries and everyone needs boundaries. Everyone That's hates true. them and loves them at the same time and everyone needs them. And here's what I'm going to say to that. It's not just about the boundaries we set with other people. It is also about the boundaries we set with ourselves and how we honor that. Because if we're telling people what our boundaries are, right, but we continuously let them violate those boundaries, then we have to check in with ourselves. Like, why am I letting this person violate my boundaries? And where do I violate my own boundaries? If I say I'm logging off of my work computer at 5 p.m. and I'm still sitting here at 8 o'clock.
0: That's a boundary violation. Hey, don't say that with my staff on. (laughs) Okay. Do not listen. Your staff is about to to start start setting
1: some boundaries with you. (laughs) They try.
0: They try. Yeah. (laughs) No, but that is so true. I mean, I I hear what you're saying is that we have to be accountable to the promises that we keep to ourselves and and to protect our own energy and to protect our own um, core. Um, and I do think it's important. And I've learned a lot. I, I joke around. I don't know how this ended up happening, but I'm surrounded by a lot of headstrong, independent, liberal women that just they have punished me, but I've grown through it, if that makes sense. I think I've added a little value to their life, too, but <laughs> um, but I have I've learned a lot through that. And I think that w- when we do that, it'll, it gives us energetically the ability to show up better for other people when we're when we're given ourselves time enough to show up for ourselves or yeah, to honor our own commitments to ourselves and sometimes honoring our commitments to ourselves is the hardest thing to do because a lot of us have this people pleasing nature in us i know that we're talking about generational cycles one of the things that i'm learning and, and i'm sharing this because i love your your take on it is you know like my mom I, i'm i love my mom i had you know i was privileged like i was i grew, grew up in love and you know, we all have trauma from our our childhood. You know, and it wasn't. Uh, but my mom was a people pleaser. You know, she was a smotherer, and she was a people pleaser. And later in life, I realized that you know I was kind of estranged from my mom when she passed. But I was bitter. I was mad. Like I was. I didn't have the emotional intelligence to dive into exactly what it was. But I was pissed at her for not standing up for herself with my dad and not being mm. who she was. Like you know what I mean? Like she did not. She lived her life for everyone else and you know my sister she's going through some deep work now she's 10 years my older a lot smarter than me but she had the same resentment you know because Mm -hmm. our parents are our examples our model of the world you know until we get the awareness and our brain develops and um you know could have never said that in my teenage years because she did everything for me you know Mm -hmm. to the fact where i got in college i didn't know how to do laundry like wow like you know i try to find girls to date to do it or i just go buy new clothes <laughs> that's awful look at you Ooh. looking at me but that's truth. Oh
1: no but i but that is so true it it goes with what i just said earlier like we have to know ourselves and that starts it really does start with our upbringing but then it also starts with making the decision to i'm sure you know how to do laundry now right and so it's like But it really does start with making the decision to advocate for ourselves and to bring value to our own lives, you know? And like, if we don't learn how to do that at home with parents or with even in our own lives, like it's really challenging to move through the world. It's not just about learning how to do laundry. It's its like a laundry list of things that we miss out on learning how to do because we are so used to other people doing it for us or because we are not able to advocate and say, hey, no, I can do that for myself. Or we've never had to, right? So it's its oh, cyclical, yeah. Yeah, it
0: creates dependency issues. Uh, you know, for me, mm-hmm. abandonment issues. Like uh, one of my coaches that, that um, I talk to frequently, you know, she said, it, it's ironic you're bringing you had this smothering attachment with your mom, but then also later in life, it was an abandonment. Like, you know, when her and my dad actually got a divorce, you know, in my twenties when everything that they wanted to paint was, you know, white picket fences and Mm -hmm. step for wife type of stuff. It wasn't, that wasn't reality. And, um, you know, so, uh, so that that's, through discovering that, I'm learning a lot about myself, I know. And that's like, that, so that's how I came up. Like when I read your book, there was a lot of things that just made me go, you know, just connected a lot of dots. Um, I'm sitting here reading something uh, that I want you to elaborate on. I literally just, it didn't matter which one it was because a lot of your stuff just talks to me. It resonates in my soul. Okay. Um, but it's that hard truth. You may have to walk away from people that you love. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I internalize that, but I'd love for you to kind of share that meaning of how someone might interpret that.
1: For me, that hard truth has shown me so much about honoring myself, about honoring people that I love, even if we have to part ways and love one another from a distance, and about honoring boundaries. I think so often we're taught That we are supposed to stay with people that we love through thick and thin, even if they mistreat us, even if they abuse us, even if they aren't good for us. And so that hard truth is rooted in making a decision to walk away from someone or something that is no longer in alignment with your life and your path, even if you love them. And I think... I think that's important because especially in familial relationships or close-knit relationships, because we're not taught to do that. We're taught that, you know, blood is thicker than water. That's your family. You kind of you you stick it, you stick it out and you don't complain. But I I wanna invite people to reflect on the relationships that you have in your life that you love. You love them deeply, but you know you're not in alignment. You know that the relationship is unhealthy. You know that you don't maybe you don't want to be in relationship with them, and vice versa, but you're sticking it out because you love someone. Sometimes the most to me, sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do for people that we love when things are misaligned is to take a step back. It doesn't mean you're apart forever. Maybe it does. But it the space allows clarity to show us what we need to see.
0: No, I love that. I mean, I um, and what you're saying too, it's also a lot of times perception or conditioning of models of the world, right? Like, right. death just part type of thing, um, right? Which and then I don't we end up in. being in a toxic relationship forever, forever and, uh, suffering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's, I think there's a lot of people that need to hear that message because I think a lot of people are suffering and, and feel like their suffering is justified or they're, they're in prison, you know, but they're in prison with themselves because of either the model of the world fearing what other people might think about them, or even at some level, like their beliefs, their core values of what they believe that that should have been hanging on to it too tight, if that makes sense. Like I, even in a business relationship, I always, uh, one of the, something I say a lot is, you know, love your family, you know, love the ones that you're close to, but choose your peer group, choose the people you spend the most time with. And there's a big Mm -hmm. difference. Mm -hmm. I can love my family and never talk to them, but I can still love them. And, you know, if I need to show up and they're in a time of desperation or need, I can be there. But if it's a toxic relationship, even if a family member, I need to choose to stay away, Mm -hmm. you know, and Because we become who we hang around most, you know. That's why we have to spend time with ourselves and get to know ourselves even more. But yes. But you said growth is learning to step away from the people and the situations that rob you of your joy and disrupt your peace, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a a follow up um, to the hard truth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think growth is so uncomfortable. I don't think, I know, (laughs) I know that growth is so uncomfortable, but here's the thing. We have to evolve. We cannot stay the same. Even if we don't want to grow, we will. Even if we don't want to change, we will. And realizing and honoring that you get to decide who you spend your time with, what brings you joy and how you're going to access that joy. If it does not bring you a sense of ease, and this doesn't mean relationships are easy, but we know the relationships that cause chaos in our lives. And we know the relationships that make us feel relaxed and ourselves and easeful. And so that sticky note is an invitation to look at the relationships that you have, the growth that you need to, lean into or the growth that you're going through and see how you can change and shift within that, even if it's
0: uncomfortable. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Oh, I think that, always. always. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but that's how you grow, right? Like I always say fitness um, is the point of not pain, but being comfortable, getting uncomfortable. Like it's pushing yourself to a threshold where you feel it, but if you're going to be fit, whether it's emotionally fit, physically fit, you can't be fit without pushing to a point where you're uncomfortable. And the re- realization of that is what you said is like when I hear joy and peace, the only way to, to me, for real joy, at least this is my experience of the world, mm-hmm. I'm the happiest and I feel the most joy when I'm growing and I have more to give to other people or give to the world, if I'm not growing and I'm stuck in this mundane, I don't know, just you get sometimes stuck in a pattern and you know, then I become miserable. Like if I don't have a lot going on or I'm not growing and doing something with purpose, I find myself becoming miserable. Like if I'm, I, you know, I like vegging out every now and then watching a show or, or, but if I'm doing that too much, Mm -hmm. I literally become Just miserable. And so I love hearing you talk about your personal growth. And when you're facing yourself, you know, I think that's the one thing that is the scariest that most people don't ever do is look in the mirror to face themselves. Yeah. And when you face yourself, sometimes you're not going to like exactly what you see if you're willing to be honest with yourself, not seeing it worse than it is, but just be honest with yourself so you can get yourself to where you want to be or some of the things that you aspire to be. And so Um, so when you say that, it it resonates because, but on the other side of that uncomfortableness, how have you felt like, you know, so like, has it been worth it? Has it been worth the struggle and the pain?
1: Yes. It's been liberating. I often tell people the growth may be challenging, but the freedom is exceptional. And that is that personal freedom that comes with growth and giving yourself permission to go through every growth cycle. I mean, look at nature everything isn't always in bloom. Everything isn't always beautiful. I mean, I live in Maryland. We get all four seasons here. Come the fall, we have a beautiful transition to autumn, and then everything is just dead until spring, right? So it's like there is a rebirth happening in our growth. Each and every time we choose to get uncomfortable, each and every time we choose to grow through the hard stuff, we find deep liberation and reconnection to ourselves. Even even in our lull or our wilting seasons, right? So I often say, honor the season that you're in. And that goes for everything. Look at the seasons of your life and honor where you are. We can't always be in a growth cycle. Sometimes we are going to be in, in, a, in a death cycle. And that is a part of our human experience. And that is also a part of resilience and finding new ways to lean into our personal
0: freedom. And you mentioned early when you were kind of talking about your self-discovery, shedding, I mean, that's what shedding is.
1: That is what shedding is. Exactly.
0: So I just wanted people to hear that even though it's tough, it's the most liberating thing. It's the most joyful thing. On the other side of it (laughs) is freedom and there's nothing, you know, more beautiful than truly being free. Yeah. So, yes. um, Tell us about um, your new book um, and what inspired it and what we can expect from it.
1: Yeah. So my new book is called How We Heal. And it's a sh- it's essentially teaching folks how to tap into their personal power and personal freedom by way of healing in ways that feel accessible. Um, and of course, as a writer, it's it has a lot to do with the courses I teach. So I teach writing to heal. So I'm inviting people to get on the page and really unpack their voice The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and see what they can find out about themselves and their healing and their patterns. And then also to shake things up a bit, I interviewed some really amazing women about how they heal. So there's a section in the book called How They Heal. And we have folks from Olympians to authors, to psychotherapists, to artists sharing how they heal outside of their profession. And so essentially it's a collection of healing for folks who are looking to diversify their, their healing practice, but also get started. It's, a, it's the step zero to how you get to step 10. And so I'm really excited about it. It's on sale for pre-order right now. And I'm going on a seven city tour in November, and we're really going to be diving deep into our healing work in a way that people can understand and hopefully share with the masses because i find that healing and wellness can feel kind of off-putting kind of really rooted in like elitism sometimes and um, While I think science is great and science-backed research and information is absolutely great, we also need folks to be able to understand what people are saying in layman's terms and to be able to connect with the words and the work so that they can put things into practice and not feel confused after what they read, right? And so that is how we heal. How we heal is an accessible tool to put in your emotional toolbox
0: as you heal. My biggest thing is if you want to be great at business or whatever, you have to build yourself up like, a, you know, Period. I yeah. talk about the belief, the belief in who you are. And most people don't know who they are, but the belief in who you are and what you can do and what you can accomplish, if that's off, it doesn't matter what skills that you learn. It doesn't matter yeah. who comes in your life all of that's going to be self-sabotage. You're never going to get to the height that you're destined to get to. And so a lot of the work that we do, even from a sales perspective is just personal development work. Like, Mm. you know, what's holding you back, what's limiting you, what are some of the scars of the past? And, um, and, And you know, Good
1: questions. Those are good journal questions as an author and writer. I'm listening. I'm like, those are good journal questions right there.
0: (laughs) You know, my outcome was to introduce you to our community and to
1: high community.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, um, we have a lot of incredible people and um, I know you have a lot of great gifts to to share with them through the work that you've done, right? Through the yeah. And you wouldn't have those if you didn't go through the uncomfortable experience, you wouldn't have that awareness or that liberation to give. So
1: that is max. Um, so you let me know, I would love, even if it's, coming in person and doing a workshop for a couple hundred women and really getting in there with them. I mean, And a couple men crazy. too.
0: You keep talking about these women. Oh, sorry, I'm like, sorry. Oh, yes, man, and here. men,
1: men are welcome. Men are welcome. I always forget. I have a male audience too. It's so funny. It's like 10%, but I have them. So guys y'all are welcome to it. You know, it's so funny. Side note really quickly. So when I was doing the courses last year, we had a lot of men because I wasn't very, um, The first year, I wasn't really speaking to the men in my audience, which was my downfall because they're like, hey, can we join them? Like, absolutely. But we had like 15 to 20 men join us each quarter and some would join with their wives or their brothers or their sisters or it was amazing. So healing is for everybody. My content is for everybody. I I
0: think women sometimes are more open to it. And yes, men, that is true. The most like this machoism, this testosterone, like I like yeah. that's not that's not serving and that's not serving you, it's not serving the world, it's not serving your kids. Like I yeah. think that there's, you know, I don't know. Everybody Megan. can
1: come. And when they I'm go. teaching in person, men are there and they often like have to get vulnerable and it's really uncomfortable for them, but they end up thanking me to the side at the end. So <laughs> <laughs> to
0: the side, they don't want to do it in front of everybody. <laughs> no, yeah. that would be great. I would really um, you know, I'd love that opportunity and I think that it would bring a lot of value to a lot of people. And okay. I do appreciate your work. I'm going to check out the podcast for sure. Yeah. Um, and then uh and then we'll definitely uh be looking forward to that next book. So, okay. I need to check out some of your other books. Like, I know that they wrote it down here. What was your first book?
1: My first, very first baby book was "Words from a Wanderer." I cringe every time I read it because I was 23 when I self-published it, and now I'm—I'll be 33 next month with a traditional publishing deal, and it's like, oh, okay. So self-publishing was beautiful, but I was also a kid. Like I'm not a kid, but I was in such a different place. But people still buy and read that book in droves, and it's just a note. It's a small, tiny book of Are They all on Amazon.
0: Like if I everything, type,
1: everything should be on Amazon. Yeah.
0: I would just appreciate it. And, um, thank you. Number one, just personally for again, putting out what you put out because it's it's touched my life and I know it's going to touch many others. And so hopefully we can do something else together. Cause I'd love, I'd love to, to get you in front of more people, at least in our community. I'd
1: love that. You let me know.
0: I will for sure. Thank, thank you, you Alex. for
1: having me. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks Malia. Bye y'all.
0: <laughs> See y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of BU with BU. Please rate, review, and subscribe. For more content from Brian, connect with him on social at Brian Undy or shoot him a text at 502 221 9798. You can also visit his website, brianunderwood.com.